All right, now to go ahead and take out your Bibles, turn them to Amos chapter 3. And while you're turning there, let's ask the Lord to open up his word and to give us understanding and strength of heart to obey. Heavenly Father, we pray as we turn to your word, Lord, Father, that we would know that it is your word. It's not just words on a page, Father God, but these are the very words of the living God who created us and who loves us. Speak forth to our lives, Father God, and Lord, we pray for your spirit to give us strength to listen, hear, and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message this morning is Abused Privilege. I'm sure every single one of us can think of an example in which we know of someone, whether it personally or through the media, through a um, very public example of someone who has lived in privilege and chosen to abuse that privilege. Because position, depending on where you're positioned at, your position will bring privilege. I don't know why it works this way, but the richer you are, the more you get for free. You could be a king of like 20 different countries. You show up at a restaurant, and they're like, here, let me comp your food for you. Because, you know, the, they can't afford to pay for it. But the lower you are on the totem pole, they're like, um, how are you going to pay for this? It, it just astounds me. There, there's people that do that. I'm not saying that those people take those privileges, but they're offered those privileges. When it becomes abuse of privilege is when they show up and they get handed a bill and they're like, do you know who I am? No, I don't. That's why I need your credit card. <laughs> so position brings privilege, but what do you do when someone abuses the privilege they've been given? We all enjoy seeing those who come from a place of privilege. They're born with that silver spoon in their mouth, and they feel like they deserved it. And when we see them abuse it and flaunt their privilege, we enjoy seeing them get their just desserts. Abuse of privilege is described as this. It's the wrongful or unlawful misuse of power in one's duties at the expense of others or to the advantage of the abuser. Now, Amos 3, as we turn here, is the first of three sermons or three messages that God delivers to the nation of Israel through the mouth of Amos. In this message, Amos, on behalf of God, to Israel concerning his judgment coming to them, Amos delivers God's reasoning for bringing judgment to Israel. And he speaks against Israel for her abuse of privilege. She has abused her privilege. So let's focus in and hear this message because we need to learn what God is telling them they've abused and how we can avoid repeating Israel's sin so that we as the church do not abuse our privilege. Starting in verse 1, it says, Listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you, Israelites, against the entire clan that I brought from the land of Egypt. I have known only you out of all the clans of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for your iniquities. Can two walk together without agreeing to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? 
Does a young lion growl from its lair unless it has captured something? Does a bird land in a trap on the ground if there's no bait for it? Does a trap spring from the ground when it has caught nothing? And if a ram's horn is blown in a city, aren't people afraid? If a disaster occurs in a city, hasn't the Lord done it? Indeed, the Lord God does nothing without revealing his counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord of God has spoken, who will not prophesy? Proclaim on the citadels of Ashdod and on the citadels of Egypt. Assemble on the mountains of Samaria and see the great turmoil in the city and the acts of oppression within it. The people are incapable of doing right. This is the Lord's declaration. Those who store up violence and destruction in their citadels. Therefore, the Lord God says, an enemy will surround the land. He will destroy your strongholds and plunder your citadels. The Lord says, as the shepherd snatches two legs or a piece of an ear from the lion's mouth, so the Israelites who live in Samaria will be rescued with only the corner of a bed or the cushion of a couch. Listen and testify against the house of Jacob. This is the declaration of the Lord God, the God of armies. I will punish the altars of Bethel on the day I punish Israel for its crimes. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. I will demolish the winter house and the summer house, and the houses inlaid with ivory will be destroyed, and the great houses will come to an end. This is the Lord's declaration. Strong words against the nation of Israel, and it all centers around God saying, you've abused your privilege. And those in privilege, when they abuse it, they think, well, I'm of privilege, therefore nothing happens to me. And I think that was Israel's attitude because the Lord has been sending prophets, been sending messages, been warning them, and he's been warning them for a long time, and he will warn them for a long time before destruction finally comes. And so Amos is just one of the prophets who are sent, and if you remember from our intro to it, he's probably the first of the prophets that was sent. So Israel comes under condemnation from God because they have a unique position. Sometimes we think our unique position saves us from any type of scrutiny or having to answer any accountability. And so in the first two verses, what, is it, what does Amos say? He says, listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you, Israelites, against the entire clan that I brought from the land of Egypt. I have known only you out of all the clans of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. He says, listen to this message that the Lord has spoken. That's what the call is. Listen, receive with understanding. Pay attention. They need to heed and obey this message because this message, even though it's proclaiming judgment, we know, and they knew then, that God is a God who will relent if his people would repent. The message itself is spoken communication. It comes from the Lord. He says, listen to the message that the Lord has spoken. Sometimes we can read the Bible and sometimes Israel would hear their prophets and they just think it's a man speaking and they forget. These are the words of the Lord God. It's not a, a mere man, a mere mortal. 
They're declaring the living word of God. This book declares the word of the living God. It's a privilege to have the word of God spoken to you. But that privilege comes with the responsibility to listen and obey. When you hear the word of God, be blessed that God is still speaking. Have you ever been in a situation with someone who's mad at you? When they're talking to you, it's good because they still want to work it out. It's when they give you the silent treatment and they're done talking. What can you do to change that? You can't do anything. God was still speaking to them. The message was against them. The responsibility and the necessity to listen to the message is greater because it is against them. That's what Jesus said in John 15, 22. He said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. God says, I've told you what's required. I've told you what I expect. You have no excuse. Hebrews 3, the writer of Hebrews is imploring those, if you hear the word of God, if you hear the declaration of the Lord, it says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. You see, when God had spoken to Israel and said, go into the land of Canaan that I've given to you. I will hand it over to you. You will conquer them. They will flee from you. You will have no problem in it. And Israel says, you know what? We're not going. They didn't listen to the word of the Lord. And when you ignore the word of the Lord, the only other option is your heart gets hard. And so he's saying, hear the word of the Lord and do not harden your hearts because if you don't open your heart to hear his word and obey, you are in danger of having your heart hardened by your own choice. And when your heart becomes hardened, you come under the wrath and under the punishment of God. And so this message is to the entire clan that the Lord has brought out of Egypt. And he furthers that indictment against Israel. He says, you are the only clan whom I brought out of Egypt but also the only clan whom I've ever known. Out of all the other families of the earth, God made himself specially known to Israel. And that word known is yada in the Hebrew, and it means experientially known. It's because of that special relationship that he has with Israel this place of privilege that God speaks these daunting words. And he says, therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. But if you notice, he says, therefore, I will punish you. If you go back to all the Gentile nations, he says, therefore, I will destroy you. See, here God says, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Israel would be punished because of her unique position with God. You see, God chose a family. He chose a seed of Abraham to show the rest of the world how life should be lived. God chose Israel to be a model that the world could look upon and see that God is good. Walking in his way brings blessing. He says, of all the people that I've known, of all the people that I've chosen you, I gave you a special calling. I gave you a special revelation. I gave you tremendous blessing. Jesus told a, asked a question. He said, there was a servant who knew to do his master's will and didn't prepare himself to do it, be severely beaten, 
but the one who did not know and did what was deserving of punishment will receive a light beating. It says, from everyone who's been given much, much will be required. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be expected. Israel is coming under this punishment because they've been given so much. Now, all the other clans of the earth didn't know the word of the Lord. They haven't been given instruction on how to worship the Lord God. Israel had. So God says, I have no choice but to chasten you. I bring us back to Hebrews 12. We've, we've looked at this before with the minor prophets, and this is going to be a common message because all the minor prophets brought the same message, essentially, that God was bringing to Israel and to Judah. Hey, I'm going to judge you. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. It says, my son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. And here's the reason why. In Hebrews 12.10, he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. So he comes to Israel with this message, Israel in a place of privilege. Israel probably going, you know what? I can do whatever I want because uh, God chose me. Obviously, he knew what he was doing. And Israel kind of went around like that, like they were God's special people. And in one sense, they were God's special people, but not in the way that they wanted to be. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes, he says, the time has come for judgment, and it will begin with the household of the Lord. It begins with us. But here's the warning to the other nations. If it begins with us, and we know God, and we have that privilege and relationship with God, What's the outcome of those who disobey the gospel of God? So Israel has taken her unique position with God and taken it for granted, but they also abused it without second thought. And we're going to see how they abused it. And here's the, Israel had a unique position accountability in that position is required as we're, as we're seeing. God had to punish them because of that relationship. Accountability is required. And God sets it up in this way. He puts out seven statements to show, I have to do this. You chose to do that, you're gonna get this. You see, consequences always come from our choices. Every choice you make has a consequence, whether good or bad. Consequences aren't always bad. It's just we always only hear the word consequences because we've chosen wrong. So Amos 3 says, Can two walk together without agreeing to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Does a, does a young lion growl from his lair unless it's captured something? Does a bird land in a trap on the ground if there's no bait? Does a trap spring from the ground when it's caught nothing? If a ram's horn is blown in a city, aren't people afraid? And if a disaster occurs in a city, hasn't the Lord done it? Indeed, the Lord God does nothing without revealing his counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will fear? The Lord God has spoken, who will not prophesy? God speaks to Israel. He says, I will punish you for all your iniquities. 
In case you didn't know, iniquities is another fancy super $10 word to say the 50 cent word sins. And sins must be punished. God would not be just if sin was not dealt with. And so if one sins, God will punish the sin and the sinner. To illustrate this concept of necessary accountability for sinning, God speaks through several examples. You can't have one without the other. Can two walk together without agreeing to meet? No. How do you walk together if you don't even meet up? It necessitates a meeting. Does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? How many of you have had a pet lion before? Okay, so these examples are spoken to ancient Israel who lived in a time where the lion, they lived with the lions. They weren't pets or anything. Uh, so they knew, hey, when I hear a lion roar, stay away. But here's the truth of it. A lion does roar in the forest only when it has prey. And here's why. It warns because it's its prey and it says everybody else better stay away. Does a young lion growl from its lair unless it's captured something? If you lived in the wilderness or in the African safari, you would know the answer to this. But no, the lion doesn't growl unless it has something. There's no reason for it to make noise because it's still trying to trap it. So does a bird land in a trap on the ground if there's no bait? Well, I mean, if, if you give enough birds a chance, I'm sure just out of sheer opportunity, one will land. But without bait, it's not likely. And you might sit there all day. Does a trap spring from the ground when it's caught nothing? No, traps are set up that they stay there until they do catch something. If it doesn't catch it, it wasn't a well-set-up well trap anyway. And then he goes into something a little bit more nefarious, a little bit more that the people are like, hey, where's he going with this? He says if a ram's horn is blown in a city, aren't people afraid? Well, it depends on how close you are to them with the horn, right? No, the truth of the matter is back then they had people that sat on a tower on, on the wall and they were watchmen. And if danger was coming, they would blow the ram's horn and the ram's horn would signal danger is coming. And when you hear danger is coming, do you go, oh, that's okay. We'll be just fine. No, you kind of go, oh my gosh, what do I do? What do I need to do? What are the steps? Stop, drop, and roll. No, that's when you're on fire. The horn warns of coming danger. And so then finally it gets to the point, if disaster occurs in a city, hasn't the Lord done it? Now, I'm not changing anybody's theology here. I'm not saying that, you know, when hurricanes sweep through a country, that's God's judgment on them. I'm not saying that whenever something bad happens, that's God judging them. But God is saying, if something happens to you guys, I don't want you to think it coincidence. It's me. That's my message to you. The Lord brings and allows the disaster that's coming to you. Don't think it coincidence. It won't be accidental. It won't be fate. It's not just bad luck. The judgment, the calamity coming is the Lord because of your iniquities. And your iniquities, they require accountability. Here's Israel sitting on top of the hill going, man, we're God's chosen people. Look at all those other people. They're not as chosen as we are. They're not as cool as we are. And the fact of the matter is, as we're going to see, Israel is more sinful than they were. But they thought from their place, a position, that they had no accountability. And God is saying, you will be held accountable. God chose them, gave them a special privilege, 
special position of privilege. I'm losing my words and they're getting tied together. I apologize. It works like this. It's like cause and effect. So sin brings punishment. Even when you are in a place of privilege, never will you get to a place in your walk with God where he's going to say, you know what? That's okay that you sinned. We'll just forget that. There is never a sin that God will forget that is not dealt with either at the foot of the cross or later in the judgment. And that's why the Bible constantly tells us, when you sin, be faithful to confess your sin because he's faithful and just to forgive it. And I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation if you forget to confess all your sins. But what God is saying is all sin must be dealt with. So the prophet then speaks something that we have to take heed of. And Israel would be wise to heed this as well. And so let us hear it even doubly so because they didn't. The Lord does nothing without revealing his counsel to his servants, the prophets. Genesis 18, 17. God is there, and Abraham's there, and, and God all of a sudden, just out of the blue, he goes, should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? He's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The judgment of, that, of those cities has become great and risen up among him. He says the people, the cry of the people has become so great, and their, their sin has just become so... Why does he say that, though? Because there's Lot in there. And it's not because he's like, you know what, um, Abraham really loves Lot, and I'm just going to you know, allow that to happen. But what it is is God allows Abraham to know about it because Abraham then begins to intercede for those who would be found righteous. Because God never destroys the righteous among the sinful. Same thing that we're going to learn in the prophet of Jonah. God says to Jonah, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because their evils come up before me. And if you know the story of Jonah, you know that he is the most successful prophet in all of the Old Testament. He is the only one who has a recorded conversion. In fact, he has an entire city that converted, repented, and was saved and wasn't destroyed for another couple hundred years until the prophet Nahum went. Even with the Gentile nations like Nineveh, the Lord speaks forth what is coming. We have to hear his word. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who will not prophesy? Just as one event does not take place without the other necessary event happening, so the Lord does nothing regarding the history of Israel, regarding his church either, without first saying it forth. The cool thing is we have the entire revelation of God. And we have the complete revelation. It's in a book. It's called Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ and everything that's going to happen from the time period of the church age all the way through to the end of the time when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom and reigns forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And we all get to be with him who are in his name, forgiven by his sacrifice. And so knowing that, once that revelation occurred, once the prophecy was spoken... Israel's on the time clock now. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the information that God is not pleased with you? Because judgment is sure to follow if they do nothing. The prophecy of Amos came years before the calamity. We have constant example after example of God going. and He doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to destroy you tomorrow and there's nothing you can do about it. 
Do you know what he told Abraham when he told him, hey, your people are going to go and I'm going to take them to the land of Egypt. And after a while, they're going to become slaves there. But don't worry, I'll deliver them from Egypt and I'm going to give them a land that I'm going to bring to them. But it's not yet because the people in that land, their wrath has not yet filled up. And it took 400 years before that wrath was full. Because our God is a long-suffering God allowing for those to come to repentance. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he reveals his covenant to them. That's, that's the thing. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord more than you do man. Fear the Lord more than you do anything else. Fear the Lord allows you to hear his message and go, you know what, I better listen up. Israel needed to know that their place of privilege and position with the Lord God required their accountability for their sin. Their sin required punishment, cause and effect, no matter what their privilege is, but also because of their privilege, they had to be punished. And that's what we're going to see next is God said, you're going to be disciplined as an example. Now we hear about this all the time, right? Somebody goes to court and they, they commit a crime and you want to deter anybody else from ever thinking that that crime would ever be profitable? They go, what? I'm going to make an example of you. And that usually means what? That they're going to get off of the slap? No, they're going to get the harshest punishment that they could ever receive. In verse 9, God says this, Proclaim on the citadels in Ashdod and on the citadels in the land of Egypt to assemble on the mountains of Samaria and see the great turmoil in the city and the acts of oppression within it. The people are incapable of doing right. This is the Lord's declaration. Those who store up violence and destruction in their citadels. Therefore, the Lord God says, an enemy will surround the land. He will destroy your strongholds and plunder your citadels. The Lord says, as the shepherd snatches two legs or a piece of an ear from the lion's mouth, so the Israelites who live in Samaria will be rescued with only the corner of a bed or the cushion of a couch. Amos continues speaking the words of the Lord. This is not Amos. He's not, hey, I really don't like you Israelites and I'm going to say these mean things just because I'm a mean guy. No, it, Amos is like, I'd rather go and be a shepherd, but the Lord called me to prophesy these words. So this is what the Lord says now. Hear it. He says, he says, the Lord told me to proclaim in the citadels in Ashdod and on the citadels in Egypt that they need to come and assemble on the mountain of Samaria. And once assembled there, what they're going to do is they're going to look down upon you guys and see the great turmoil in the city and the acts of oppression within it. He says, bring the emissaries from Philistia. Bring the emissaries from Egypt, two lands known for their heinous cruelty towards humans. Have them assemble and gather on the mountain and observe Samaria. The dignitaries from these places where injustice and oppression was practically developed and perfected. Gather and see with the idea that even they would be astonished at what Israel's doing. Israel is acting with such injustice and oppression and it's, it's the most heinous because these other nations, they're doing it against other people. Which I'm not, I'm not saying the Lord's good with that at all. What I'm saying is, Wow, it's really horrible when you do it against your own people. That's like saying the difference between someone being slain, who it, it was just like a happenstance, it was a place of violence, it just happened, and someone being slain by someone within their own immediate family who shared that bond of love. 
God said, this is extremely heinous. Not only that, they had the place of privilege of knowing what God expected, how God wanted them to live. It says, the sin of Israel was so great, pagan nations would be appalled. It didn't change much either, because Paul in the New Testament in the Corinthians, he goes to the Corinthian church. He says, it's reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. Israel, you look down on the Gentiles and you call them worthless pagans. You call them wor worse, worth less than dogs. The idea, the Jewish thought of the day was Gentiles, they're just kindling for the fires of hell. He says, but not even Gentiles do what you guys are doing. And look at, look at the example. He says, a man is sleeping with his father's wife. This is the same sin that is reported in Amos chapter 2, verse 7 against Israel. It's still going on. And I bring that up to say this, as we're reading Amos, and he's speaking to the nation of Israel, it's a parallel for what's going on with the church these days too. The church has to be careful that we are not abusing our privilege. And the Lord pronounces the strongest indictment against people incapable of doing right. He says, they don't even know how to do right, even though I've told them. They're so bound by their greed and their idolatry. And when you're bound by something as, as horrible as taskmasters, as greed and idolatry, it's impossible to do right. They're so addicted to their affluence, they don't even care. People that become addicted to the, how they're used to living, the privilege that they are enjoying, they don't care that others suffer so that they can enjoy their comforts, their luxuries. And, he, and here, here's the worst thing. They thought they were secure. They thought their citadels and their fortresses brought them that security. Jesus spoke against this same idea. Luke chapter 12, verse 12, he says, the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what was said. And someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus says, friend, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? He told him, watch out and be on guard against all greed because life is not in the abundance of his possessions. He told him a parable. There's a rich man land who is very productive, and he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? Here's what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my barns. They used to be okay, and they, they were enough for me, but now that I have so much, I'm going to tear them down, and I need bigger ones to hold more of all my stuff. And he says, I'll put my grain and goods there. And then he says, I'll say to myself, you have many goods and stored up for many years. Now you get to take it easy, rest, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you and the things you prepared, whose will they be? And that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure, but is not rich towards God. Like Israel, maybe we in the church have developed that attitude that same attitude like in the church of Laodicea. Jesus spoke some harsh words against them also. He said, you say I'm rich and I become wealthy and I need nothing. 
And you think that that's all that there is because you don't even realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Where, where have we set our eyes? Where have we set our goals? What, what, what are we trying to obtain? What is our prize that we're going after? We have a place of privilege and we can, we can obtain much. God has given us a place of privilege. What are we going after? Are we seeking riches of the world? We're seeking riches with God. And so God says, therefore, because you don't think of anything but yourself, Israel, because you're comfortable in your selfishness, in your wealth, and in your plenty, he says, I'm going to bring discipline while the other nations are watching and seeing. You will be made an example. You will be punished so that other nations know that not even in their place of privilege do they have the right to sin. He says, an enemy will surround the land and guess what? He's going to destroy your strongholds. He's going to plunder your citadels. Your security, gone. You think you're secure because you have? Well, it's gone. Now what? You'll come to ruin, be utterly overwhelmed and defeated, and God declares that to Israel. And verse 12, when you look at verse 12, there's two different thoughts of interpretation here. And the first one takes that the two legs and the piece of the ear saved from the mouth of the lion only proves that the animal did not survive the attack of the lion. It's what the shepherd would bring to prove, hey, I didn't eat your sheep. Look, a, a beast tore it to pieces. It lost its life. That's all there is. It does not indicate, but further proves that the destruction from the Lord is total, complete, in relation to the Israelites living in Samaria. You will be utterly destroyed. Not a piece will be left. The other interpretation is that with the portion of the animal that the legs and the ear represent, it indicates that there is a small, very small percentage. Like if you think of the proportion of an animal and you think of its two front legs and a piece of its ear, what percentage is that? Like what, 9% of the animal maybe? That represents and indicates the portion of the Israelites from Samaria that will be retained as a remnant that will be saved. Either way, it's a bleak outlook. This once proud, prideful, full nation, blessed by God, uh, just prospering and growing and multiplying and just a numerous people would be reduced to such small scraps. Israel's abused privilege meant that they must be disciplined as an example. And then God wanted to let them know Empty religion will fall. You can come in a place of privilege. You can grow up in the church. You can grow up as an Israelite. You can grow up with all those blessings, but it means nothing if you worship the wrong things. So God says in verse 13, he says, listen, testify against the house of Jacob. This is the declaration of the Lord God, the God of armies. I will punish the altars of Bethel. On the day I punish Israel for its crimes, the horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. I will demolish the winter house and the summer house and the houses inlaid with ivory will be destroyed and the great houses will come to an end. This is the Lord's declaration. This is a, the Lord finishes his message to Israel with a plea. He says, listen and testify against the house of Jacob. This is the declaration of the Lord. It, it's like, you can't say it any stronger that there's... Nothing else that could happen. This is what the Lord says. And when the Lord speaks, it will happen. 
says, hear with the intention and testify as a witness to in a case, like a, a trial case, to prove guilty. God declares, I will punish Bethel on the day I punish Israel for its crimes. Now, Bethel, it, it may be a city, but what it was represented as was the place of where they worshipped God. The northern kingdom, if you remember, divided from the southern kingdom. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, was not a great king, and everybody said, you know what, we're, we're totally done with you. We, we didn't elect you. You're not my king. We didn't choose you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to secede, and we're going to form our own kingdom. Ten nations went to the north and formed their own kingdom, and a civil split uh, uh, divide amongst the kingdoms, and only Judah and Benjamin remained in the southern. Jeroboam I was the king that was set up over the northern kingdom of Israel, and he said, you know what, how do I keep my people from having to go down to that southern kingdom, down to Jerusalem, down to the place that the Lord has proclaimed as the prescribed place of worship, why should they have to go to another kingdom? Who cares what God said about where you need to worship? Who cares what God said about worship? We're going to do worship our way. And so they took Bethel, which was a place that was anointed, and it was a place that had awesome things happening at it from the uh, patriarchs of the faith of before. And they said, you know what? Bethel's good enough. Let's build an altar there. And you know what? I don't like the way Israel set up their altar, so we're just going to put a little golden calf. It's okay, right? The Lord never got upset over a golden calf. And so they put that up, and they said, here, this is where you'll worship. And the people said, you know what, Jeroboam, you shouldn't have done that. No, they said, cool, I ain't got to travel so far. Man, this is so much easier. Gosh, God, you're so easy to love because you require nothing of us. All we have to do is show up and say this is fun. That's the false worship that's set up, and I'm sad to say that there's a lot of churches that are set up the same way that say, you don't have to worship the way God said. You don't have to come to the foot of the cross. You don't have to repent. We don't even have to talk about sin. Let's just talk about God is love, and that's all we're going to talk about. Forget all the other characteristics. God is love. That's the most important one. And what you end up doing is you end up serving a God that you can put in a box, that you can take out when you want to, and you can put away when you want to because he's got no power to do anything with you because it's not the real God. So he says on... That day I will punish Bethel. That was Israel's largest abuse of privilege. Israel had the center of worship, the place where the presence of God dwelt. We don't understand that because what we have is the, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in each and every one of us. That was never the case with ancient Israel. Israel had a single place where they go and they worship God. And if you go to Israel today, what you see is they realize they don't have the presence of God anymore. They go to the wailing wall. And it's called the wailing wall because it's filled with tears. Because they realize they don't have the presence of God. And so they go to the Western Wall because that Western Wall was right underneath where the Holy of Holies was, where the presence of God dwelt. And that's why they go, they try to get as close as they can to where God was. Never trying to figure out, hey, how do I get back to God? They just go, this is where I knew he was at. So I'll just stand here. Here's the thing. The privilege to worship God does not mean that God is privileged that we worship him. But it means that we know how he desires to be worshipped. 
They thought because we worshiped that we are protected, that we would continue to have privilege just because we say the name of God. They lost the privilege when they turned against the Lord God. You cannot worship God except in the way God prescribes. All other worship is idolatry. If God says, I want to be worshiped this way, and you say, well, I'm going to worship you the way I want to. Who are you to tell me what to do? Well, now you're serving yourself. That's idolatry. It's false religion. It's empty. So God declares that the horns of the altar will be cut off and they will fall to the ground. And the horns of the altar, that's an, uh, uh, a good picture of protections that God allowed. You see, fugitives would come and they would grab a hold of these horns and they would declare asylum from their pursuers. And what God is saying is like murderers, because murderers were never afforded any protection. You killed somebody in cold blood, you would pay with your life. There was no protection for you. This protection would be torn by force from the altar. Like murderers, there would be no asylum for Israel. You see in Exodus, it says, whoever strikes a person so that the, he dies must be put to death. But if he did not intend harm, yet God allowed it to happen, I'll appoint a place for you where he may live, where you can go and declare asylum. But verse 14, if a person schemes and willfully acts against his neighbor, schemes and willfully acts, that is the definition of murder. To go and murder him, you must take him from my altar to be put to death. He's saying, you can't even come to my altar. So great was Israel's sin, God was cutting off the hope for asylum. There would be no sanctuary from their enemy who was coming. Their idolatrous ways, their vain, empty religion would not save them. It could not save them because they thought they were worshiping God, but God is saying, I'm coming against you. You're not even worshiping me. And all of the wealth and all of their fakeness and all of their idolatry and all of that other stuff, it's going to be destroyed. So Israel indeed experienced privilege from God. They had privilege in relationship and privilege in revelation. Israel walked in privilege. And we have to be careful when we walk in privilege because the tendency is to take that privilege for granted. And we begin to believe that our privilege comes because of who we are or that somehow we deserve it. And so instead of being the light to other nations... Israel sought to be like other nations, to sin like other nations. And they eventually became darker than the other nations, all the while thinking, we're not like other nations because we have the privilege of God. With privilege comes responsibility. And that's what God is telling them. And as I said before, this serves as a warning for us as the church. I'm not saying for this church in particular, but we have to heed and hear the words of God. We have to, under, does it apply to us? We haven't replaced Israel. The church did not replace Israel, but we've been given the opportunity of privilege to be a light for the dark world, to be an example and a message of the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and how we are to live for God's kingdom and not for the world. But too many out there preach that God is, he, he's just a genie. All you got to do is rub the spine of your Bible and say, God, I want this, and God will give it to you. 
You just got to have enough faith. Or God, why is my life terrible? Well, it's because you're not following him hard enough. You just, you just got to follow him hard enough and then he'll give you everything that you... God did not come and die on a cross so that we could have everything we wanted. He came and died on a cross to give us everything we needed. And that was salvation from our sin. We take that privilege... We abuse that privilege when we come to the cross for forgiveness, but we continue to choose to live for ourselves, continue to choose to worship God our own way, and think that we've surrendered or that we follow Him when we're only following our own prosperity gospel, our own false religion, empty and devoid, our, our own religion that devoids any commitment to God whatsoever. Be warned that if your following God requires no commitment, you're not following God. Because there are times where when you want to follow God, he's going to tell you, you have to lay down yourself. You have to leave yourself to follow me. But the worst part comes when we say, God, I'm following you, but we're not committed to him. But we go, God, don't forget your commitments to me. Don't you dare forget to commit. Uh, you do that and I'm gone. Instead, I want us to remember today, hear the word of the Lord speaking to you. It's a great privilege to have God not only speak with us, but that he dwells in us. But also know it's a great responsibility. The writer in Hebrews chapter 3 continues on. He says, watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any of, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, hear and listen to this message. Do not abuse your privilege. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. And Father, we, we do ask that you would speak. And as you speak, Lord, that we would hear you. Those of us that are here, Lord, that maybe we've never heard your voice before, but we hear it now in our heart, and you're calling us to you. You're calling us to lay it down, to come to the foot of the cross, to give our life to Jesus, to ask him for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be in relationship with you, Father. I pray that we would not harden our hearts, that instead our hearts would soften, and we would say, yes, God, that's what I need. I hear you calling me, and I'm going to answer it. for those of us who have answered that call from God and maybe we've been following him and, and as we follow him we, we start instead of living totally for him maybe we've started moving back and started walking our own path for ourselves, seeking our own desires what we want Lord I pray that we would hear your voice today and that you would wake us up from that before we get in a position where we're guilty of abusing our privilege to the point where you have to punish us as an example not because you're done with us or that you dislike us and you're cashing us out, but because any loving father disciplines his child so that we can be holy as you are holy. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts.
your spirit would give us the strength to listen and heed your words. In Jesus' name, amen.